Welcome to the Buckeye Beef Bite. This is Clifton Martin with Ohio State University Extension and the OSU Extension Beef Team. This is episode three of a six-part series we are bringing to you here in winter 2021. To find more, look for our episode releases on the OSU Extension Beef Team newsletter at beef.osu.edu. Check our show notes for links and references or to leave any comments. I recorded this conversation in December with Garth Ruff, OSU Extension Beef Specialist, and we interview Alvaro Garcia Guerra, who is an assistant professor in the Department of Animal Sciences at Ohio State, and he will be sharing with us about current trends and research in beef reproductive management. We are going to kick off the interview right here as Dr. Garcia Guerra introduces himself at the beginning of our interview. Enjoy the show. Yes. Well, so thanks for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Um, so I've been with Ohio State uh, since June of 2017, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Animal Sciences. Um, just a little bit of my background. I'm a veterinarian by trade. I'm originally from Argentina. Um, I was raised uh, there and actually attended veterinary school there and finished in 2009. And then after that, I moved to Saskatchewan in Canada, where I did my master's. And I also worked at the um, ruminant field service for the Western College of Veterinary Medicine, primarily serving um, cow-calf operations in the province of Saskatchewan and, and other parts of Western Canada. And then I uh, finished there in 2013 and moved to the University of Wisconsin-Madison to do my PhD in reproductive physiology. Uh, so spent there about three years and a half uh, until I joined here, um, the faculty um, at Ohio State. Um, so a little bit, just a brief uh, overview of what I do. My, my main focus of my lab is to work on uh, reproductive physiology, um, almost entirely tailored to um, cattle. And we've been doing some work now in um, small ruminants. Um, both from an applied and an um, basic perspective. So we try to look at some very basic science aspects of reproductive function and then try to translate those into new or improved uh, management strategies for both cattle and sheep. Our, uh, just, you know, being that you've been around the state uh, for a while and different parts of the state and research stations. Uh, can you just give us a summary of the different uh, reproductive approaches that you've seen cattlemen use across the state? And, you know, knowing that we got a lot of small, smaller producers in the state uh, that are just gaining some interest in things like artificial insemination and embryo transfer, uh, what are some management considerations they should take before making that next step uh, reproductively in their herds? Yeah, so I think um, so. The, the main three approaches that we always or everybody probably is aware of or discusses at some point in their uh, whether they're a producer or a veterinarian or an extension agent are you know natural breeding, which is what we've been doing for for ages, and it can work very well. Um, artificial insemination, which probably during the last fifty years has been the biggest advancement, let's say. And then ultimately, or let's say the most advanced reproductive technique that we have available from a commercial standpoint, probably is embryo transfer. So I think an important aspect of each one of those is that there's no magic recipe for anything. All three of those can work very well and they can 
allow us to achieve a very specific objective. And I think that's the key uh, to implement those technologies is what ultimately what is the objective of that operation and why one over the other could help us um, achieve it. Um, as we move, let's say, if we assume that, you know, moving from natural breeding to artificial insemination to embryo transfer is like uh, moving forward in complexity of, of each of those techniques, I think uh, there's quite a few things that we need to take into account on in order to establish those. Uh, first of all, and I think this is a big challenge um, in the beef industry as a whole, is data management. We need to be very aware of what we're dealing with. Um, for example, what is our traditional reproductive performance. If somebody's looking from moving into from bull breeding to artificial insemination, I think it would be very helpful to take a close look of an assessment of what has been our reproductive performance historically, what are some of the challenges that need to be um, overcome. The second one, and I think I've seen that quite a bit here in Ohio, is depending on the size of the operation, is facilities. Um, you know, Primarily in a bull breeding situation, as long as we're able to keep the bull controlled during most of the year, uh, we don't need a lot of facilities really to do that kind of approach. Um, as we start moving into artificial insemination and embryo transfer, well, it does require some handling facilities. They don't have to be nothing you know, out of the ordinary or um, really expensive facilities, but it does require a minimum of a shoot system, you know, a squeeze shoot probably in order to safely restrain animals, be able to perform those procedures with, with a level of comfort that would allow for great success. Um, and perhaps the last aspect that I would consider is um, really getting embedded or, or seek advice and help or um, assessment on the actual technology they are looking to implement. What is required, you know, from whether it's using synchronization, what is the cost associated with it, um, and how we're going to logistically organize it. I think if there, if any producer goes in into adopting any of these with a good plan coming in, I think it would their success is much more likely. Speaking of, you mentioned uh, data management and reproductive performance. What are some of those metrics that you know, regardless of what system a producer is using, they should be keeping track of. So um, I, I personally think that's one of the areas where we will have, I think we would have a great opportunity for improvement in the beef industry if we can improve our data management or a data collection. Um, but just looking at very basically, um, and I think I've seen quite a bit on, on producers here across Ohio, is uh, pregnancy rates, which involve actually uh, doing a pregnancy diagnosis. Um, then a minimum would be calving uh, dates or calving data so we can calculate uh, what the calving rate was. And then I would say after that, you know, would be your winning rate. So that's the three, three numbers, basic numbers that we need to have. Um, I think pregnancy rates from establishing a a technique like artificial insemination, knowing those pregnancy rates would be very, very advantageous. And the reason for that is if we, um, let's, if you pose a scenario, let's say that we're having a problem with pregnancy rates, even with bull breeding, it might be worth taking a hard look at what might be the issues there before going into the investment of uh, moving uh, into a more complex um, technology. The other thing is related to that is um, 
managing expectations. Um, any of these techniques is usually designed to help us, you know, move forward or achieve a certain objective. I think the worst enemy that we have is false expectations. Um, a good example of that is, well, if you don't have very good pregnancy rates with your bulls because, I don't know, your cows are not in good condition, uh, thinking that by bringing AI, you're going to completely overcome that, it's not going to happen. And then the disappointment usually ends up killing the technology before anything else. So managing, understanding that I think is very important for establishing success. That's certainly in addition to, you know, the economic ramifications of open cows and, uh, you know, the, the cost to keep some of those less productive females in the herd, uh, you know, could be a calling consideration as well. Yeah, and I think it's, that, that's a very important point. And going off of the, the data um, aspect, um, as I mentioned, those are probably the three basic numbers. The other one I like always to look at is what's your calving distribution? Because, for example, one of the techniques that can help you um, manage that distribution is fixed time artificial insemination. We can increase the percentage of females that will conceive uh, in the initial 21 days of the breeding season, they will be calving in that initial portion. And then if you're using a fixed winning date, which is what most people do, then those calves, regardless of their genetic background, they're going to be heavier at the time you wean them. So if you're selling those calves, you're just gaining uh, pounds of wean calf for you to sell. So that's another number. I, I've been pleasantly surprised to say that a lot of the producers that I've talked to um, record calving date. So that's, that's a relatively easy data that it's worth having a look at. Alvaro, uh, yeah. And, you know, as we, as we talked about some of these metrics and, and things here, uh, you know, obviously you're doing a little bit of research and a lot of record keeping of your own, uh, you know, what, what are the resources that you're using at OSU in terms of our facilities and, uh, you know, locations as, as you study, and cover these various reproductive uh, topics. Yeah, so um, interesting that you mentioned that because actually that was one of the main reasons I was attracted to come to Ohio State. Um, so we primarily use, um, actually as of this year, we use every single beef herd that Ohio State has, which is um, the OSU Beef Center here in Columbus um, around the airport. Uh, the Eastern Agricultural Research Station uh, down in Bell Valley, um, the Jackson Agricultural Research Station in Jackson, Ohio. And then uh, as of this year, we are using also the beef herd that is at ATI in Worcester. Uh, so those are the main resources that we have. Um, it's been it's been a great experience because we have we have a significant number of cows and heifers, uh, which allow us to do a lot of the research uh, that we have. The second aspect that I think it's a great asset is the people that we have working, uh, that they all clearly understand the purpose and the objective of those farms as sources for, um, or as a source for research and as a source to generate information that could be then um, shared with producers in Ohio and in other places of the country and the world. Um, and because of that, um, actually the amount of information that has been recorded over the years is pretty impressive. We are currently working with our two stations um, in Eastern um, Jackson to actually try to put a historical kind of overview of what the reproductive performance has been 
in, let's say, two representative farms in, in southern Ohio, um, looking at uh, pregnancy rates and uh, calving distributions and weaning weights and just have some benchmark information that I think would be very useful for um, producers in, in the state to be able to reference to. Is that the kind of thing as we, you know, just think about things in the future we might do? I mean, that that's information we would be able to then share out with the general public at some point, perhaps, and, and kind of have those conversations. As, as, you know, even as we, in extension, at least, you know, in Eastern Ohio, we use that uh, Eastern Agricultural Research Station quite a bit for some some work. So that would be, uh, that'd be pretty interesting if we had that information with us. Yeah, and that's that's the, exactly the goal, and and that was the reason why I mentioned before that I think data is one of the limitations of the beef industry, and, and I don't know if it was because I spent so much time in Wisconsin and I dealt a lot with the dairy industry where you know data is is everywhere. You know, actually we have so much information that sometimes we don't know exactly what to do with it. Um, that's I sometimes see how can we make some of that happen in the beef industry so that we have better better understanding of everything that's going on. What are, what should our benchmarks really be? Um, because it's very hard to, to put numbers for people to aspire to, or say, well, if you are within this range, you are, you're in a really good place. Or if you are below, you should be looking at some um, improvements or, or changes to try to address those problems. It's very hard to do that um, when there's not constant data and that is updated frequently, you know, Everybody has a magical number for pregnancy rates that they think they should be above. Well, but that doesn't really reflect the reality of year-to-year variations in your area and accounting for, you know, droughts or flood or other things that may be happening. So that's exactly the goal that we're trying to accomplish with putting this data together is just have that. And we've put a system in place now or, or we're working on it that we would be able to incorporate um, every year uh, the new data that comes in and be able to update those numbers and, and share that information. Thinking about uh, data and data management, uh, and you mentioned you know the comparison between dairy and beef, and there's been an opportunity for more of that precision livestock, uh, precision technologies in the dairy industry you know, looking forward at some of your future research interests, um, you know, is that technology part of, part of where we're going, uh, part of where you'd like to go? Um, yes, absolutely. We are, um, actually since my arrival at Ohio state, I became, a, um, started a collaboration with, um, a researcher from Australia, from central Queensland university that actually as a, has a lot of expertise in the precision agriculture area, um, started more on the plant side of things and has moved more into the animal or the livestock um, aspect of it. And um, we've actually hosted, did some experiments uh, with one of uh, his grad students here um, two years ago, uh, looking at some calving monitoring systems for um, beef cattle. And then, um, about a year ago, we actually got were successful in getting funding uh, from the American Association of Bovine Practitioners to look at using um, on-animal sensors to monitor bull performance during natural breeding. Um, so one of the ideas or, or concerns that I had, uh, and, I'm, and I'm a big proponent of artificial insemination, but when you look at national statistics, 
you, you see that the percentage of um, cows in our overall cow herd that are inseminated is still really, really low. So most of our cows are still being bred um, by bulls. So I thought that would be an interesting area that would have a very large reach if we can make some improvements. Um, so the basis of, of that work is to try to accomplish two objectives. The first one is see if through primarily we're using accelerometers, which are same basis for those um, estrus detection systems are commonplace in the dairy industry. Um, and then the second one is GPS units. And the goal of using those is, is twofold. One is to try to identify what we call bull breakdown, mainly lameness or any other diseases, which in smaller herds, like some of the ones we encounter here in Ohio, in which you might have single sire mating groups, uh, it can be a really dramatic um, event because if a bull becomes lame and it's not noticed relatively soon, that could have really dramatic consequences in overall pregnancy in a small herd when you're using only one sire. Um, and then the second one is to see if we can actually um, enhance our ability to select bulls that are better breeders. Um, that is more of a long-term goal of this process, but one that we think might actually have really a significant impact. Um, the stage at what we are right now with that kind of project is we're not using any commercial system. We're working off of research grade devices um, the idea is to establish feasibility and how that would be accomplished so that then could be taken by, you know, the industry to develop devices that would allow uh, real-time uh, translation of the information, which I think is one of the greatest challenges of using precision technologies in livestock is how do we get that real-time information in extensively managed cattle. Uh, this switches gears here a little bit. I was, uh, as, as we've been talking here and I've kind of been thinking about it, um, you've, uh, you've, you've been, you've worked in several locations. I, I think I've kind of heard you mention, uh, Canada, uh, Wisconsin, Ohio, um, you know, what sets, and obviously here now we're in Ohio and we're kind of trying to talk to an Ohio producer, um, what sets Ohio producers apart from other, these other places that you've worked? Um, you know, what advantages do we have? What disadvantages do we have? Um, you know, and as we talk about some of these, these reproductive questions and strategies, I mean, do you have any, uh, kind of final thoughts and, and suggestions you know, just overall, as we, uh, think about the industry here locally? Uh, I guess, yeah, every place has its own little, things, you know, that makes them unique. Um, I think uh, perhaps I was not that I like to be negative. I always think of the challenges because that's where really we, we can take action. Um, you know, I think perhaps one of the challenges is that if you look at overall herd size, um, Ohio and on average herd size is below the national average. We mean we have a lot of small operations, um, a lot of those which are not the primary um, let's say income for, for those individuals or that have another job. So that means coordinating tasks is always going to be a challenge that they have to overcome. Um, so I think that's, that's a challenge, but at the same time, I think it's an opportunity because, um, you know, some of these techniques will allow, can allow smaller operations to actually function more efficiently. 
Um, because, you know, one can think of if you're doing natural breeding in a very small herd, well, you're, you know, the amount of investment on a bull that is only serving a very small group of cows is, is pretty uh, dramatic if you compare it. So artificial insemination can actually help you from that perspective. True, you have to think about facilities. So there's also its own challenges. But the other advantage of using some of the reproductive techniques is that one of the greatest things that I think has been accomplished from a reproductive standpoint is that we've been able to, we have allowed producers to now control the reproductive cycle of a cow. That way we can set work to be done a specific time. So for somebody that has another job that has other responsibilities, those techniques allow you to control and predetermine when work has to be done rather than work on a natural cow cycle that will come at randomly. Um, so I think that's, you know, at the same time as sometimes it could be a limitation, it's also an opportunity to, to look into some of these techniques. Um, the other thing that I've seen is the very different landscape that we have in Ohio when, as you move in through different areas. And as somebody that came from out of the state, um, kind of seeing how people manage cows in those different areas, how sometimes, you know, how spread they are in different locations um, also creates um, its own challenges. But I think overall, I've seen enough individuals uh, that I've met through this time that, you know, really want to push the industry forward. And, and I think that's the most important thing. As long as we have that desire to keep improving, then we can find solutions or ways um, to keep uh, making those improvements. Lifton, I think, you know, that there's a good transition and, you know, an opportunity uh, to discuss that very question in our 2021 extension cow-calf schools. They're going to be virtual. Uh, we've got Alvaro lined up to be a guest uh, for one, one of those evenings where he's going to talk about how to manage the breeding season. Uh, and all that information is at beef.osu.edu. I guess Alvaro, you know, from an extension perspective, a lot of the questions we get are either nutrition or reproduction related. Uh, and I, I think a lot of times a component that gets missed um, when those questions are asked is health, you know, the health of that cow. Um, you know, and it comes down, of course, facilities being a challenge and the size of our producers, those type of things. Uh, but a common question is, you know, what should we, you know, in order to protect reproduction or improve reproduction, you know, what needs to be maintained in terms of cow health and uh, vaccinating our cow herd, those type of things? Well, so I think, you know, here in the in the state, you know, most of most of the bigger challenges are you know, from a re from reproductive diseases, let's say, um, you know, ensuring vaccination for BVD and IVR, you know, that that sort of thing are probably the ones that are more reproductive related or immediately related that I think people are very aware of. Um, I guess a lot comes down to what you mentioned, facilities and being able to actually take those animals through the shoot and vaccinate them in a timely fashion is probably very important. I, I don't think it can be uh, overemphasized that that is a critical component. Um, sometimes when somebody vaccinates all the time, it, it's hard to see the benefit, but it only takes one time that you suffer the consequences to really make you realize how important it is. And then I think that the health aspect is very important. And, and you know, sometimes I look at nutrition also as part of that healthy aspect. 
um, a lot of the times we end up when reproduction goes bad is because we're dealing with that, you know, nutritional problems and, you know, that make that her, you know, less likely to be able to achieve uh, pregnancy in a timely manner. So anything that can be due uh, from that perspective, then, you know, different areas or different operations have had history. That's I think where data is also kind of important. Um, you know, as you go through different areas, and this is true for the state and from other regions of the country or the world, you know, you have specific conditions that may be more, more prevalent. And, you know, having that knowledge in advance can help you, you know, design the best strategies that you can for um, to mitigate uh, potential losses. And, and related to that, and, and part of this, because I was involved for a long time and doing that, and I worked quite a bit on venereal diseases and diagnosis in bulls. Doesn't seem to be a problem in Ohio, at least not, you know, rampant like I've seen in other places. Um, but I thought it would, related to that's important if, you know, if we're doing a bull breeding and that kind of uh, strategy for breeding, it's important that um, breeding sound as exams in bulls are, are a must and and cannot be overly emphasized that it, that has to happen every year. Um, I'm a big proponent that uh, it's not, we shouldn't be testing only yearling bulls. We should be testing our bulls every year before the breeding season. There's too much a stake in that breeding season to overlook that. Um, and I think that's a great tool that we have. It's not perfect. It doesn't prevent from a lot of things from happening, but I think it's a great one to to be utilized and that can, can help us avoid some really um, bad situations that can really impact our ability to be um, effective in how we manage our reproduction. That's something I think I hear come up in, in a couple different places as we look at uh, other livestock as well. It's just that idea of the the breeding soundness exam and just kind of this the concept of knowing what you're working with, I think, is really what it gets down to. That's uh, why we collect data and uh, it keep, keeps us informed and helps us with our decision making and, and making sure we, uh, we we know what we're doing. So. I think one of the challenges with that has always been, and that's related to some of the things we're trying to do with the precision livestock is of uh, precision technology, excuse me. Um, one of the things is a breeding sound exam is a single snapshot in time. And, and that has been the biggest limitation. Unfortunately, we don't have anything better than that. Um, it would allow us to identify bulls that are, that have uh, permanent conditions that would make them either sterile, which would be the easiest scenario to identify, but also that might have some subfertility. So that's where it really does a really good job at identifying those. The other one that sometimes is overlooked a little bit um, during those um, breeding soundness exam is confirmation and general structure. A bull uses is a major physical investment uh, to undergo a breeding season. So making sure that bull has proper confirmation that has sound locomotive system, it's, it's very, very important. Uh, the part that it cannot do for us, that exam, is unfortunately give us a complete insurance policy that that bull is going to work through the entire breeding season, whether it's 45, 60 days or 90 days or whatever it is the length. Uh, things can always go wrong during that. Right now, I think the only alternative that we have is make sure that we keep uh, 
a close monitoring, even if it is just a visual monitor, make sure that bull is working, that you see him actually mounting that sort of thing, making sure that doesn't become lame or anything like that. Um, that's the only tools that we currently have. That's one of the things we're trying to tackle is see if we can have a system that would allow us to do that from a hands-off perspective and much more quicker than what maybe um, our eye can catch depending on how often we we are able to monitor them. Well, we've uh, we've covered a lot of territory here, and it sounds like there is quite a bit of uh, quite a bit further we could go. Actually, if we wanted to uh, keep the conversation going, but time is, of course, uh, precious here. So, um, Alvaro, appreciate you taking a few minutes to talk with Garth and I, and, and take the time to uh, share this information with everybody who is listening. Uh, thanks again for joining us. Uh, thank you very much. It was a pleasure. That's all for now. As a reminder, you can find more from this series at the OSU Extension Beef Team newsletter at beef.osu.edu. We appreciate your suggestions and comments, and we always appreciate feedback on our work, and you can provide that using the link in our show notes. Thanks for listening to the Buckeye Beef Bite. Take care.